podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. Very excited for today's show. Two fantastic interviews. This is what we do on our second episodes of the week. We bring in some guests to have some really interesting conversations. Very excited to have Scott McFarland of Bosco's Boys on the show to talk some Kansas State football. This is my dark horse team for the Big 12. If my whole shtick, the thing of Oklahoma facing a different Big 12 team in the Big 12 championship every year is going to continue, I think Kansas State has the best shot of the teams that still have yet to do so since the Big 12 title game came back. So very excited to talk with him about Skylar Thompson, recruiting, why I'm right or wrong about this whole Dark Horse thing. And we've got our 10 quick-fire questions with him. This is a fun thing I'm, I'm really pumped about doing with guests every week. And, and shout out to our to our review that had come in and suggested we do this. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's a great idea. Also, you know, we say we want to cover every sport in the Big 12. For the first time, we're going to talk a little rifle. Now, technically, the Big 12 does not... A host rifle. TCU and West Virginia are two of the best teams in college in the sport, both having won national championships in the last uh, decade, and West Virginia being having the most titles total. So Elizabeth Marsh, NCAA champion with TCU's rifle squad, going to join us. We're going to talk some TCU rifle. Really pumped for that interview. I think you guys are going to like it. Of course, you don't want to miss a single episode of the 1012. We publish every Monday and Thursday morning. You just need to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out. You can find us anywhere podcasts are available Spotify, Google, iTunes, Anchor, which is our host site. So wherever you like to get your show, go find us, subscribe. And if it's not there, let me know. We'll do our best to get ourselves added. I think we're going to be on Pandora soon. Very excited about that. Uh, follow us on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Make sure and follow us on Instagram at 1012pod, where we post exclusive content. You won't get on the pod. You won't get on Twitter. Okay, sometimes you get it on the pod and sometimes you get it on Twitter. But we do post stuff there that you will only find on Instagram because why follow us if not for something different and unique and fun? couple things to talk about here real quick. Obviously, this week is a is a big week for Oklahoma State. 20th anniversary of Remember the Ten. Uh, the Ten uh, members of the Oklahoma State basketball team, uh, people who were attached to the team, who died in a plane crash on the way home from a game with Colorado 20 years ago. It is a, a somber week, but a, a week to remember those uh, who were lost. Uh, and it, and it Look, the Oklahoma State's going to play Arkansas on Saturday. We're going to talk about that game here in just a minute. It's a perfect game for them to play this week. Arkansas, of course, uh, was a the team that Eddie Sutton used to be the head coach of and, of course, at Oklahoma State. So they'll be honoring the 10, remembering the 10 this Saturday and, and honoring Eddie Sutton as well against Arkansas. So uh, if you can you can find a story, there's lots of stories being written. I saw quite a few things that went up on Wednesday, some really Really good stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll make sure and retweet a few of them on our Twitter account uh, if you can go check those out. Uh, other news, and we're going to talk about this more on Monday. According to Adam Rittenberg of ESPN, uh, Kansas offensive coordinator Brent Deerman is going to go take on the OC role at Middle Tennessee. That is a middling, middle of the pack, whatever other middle pun you want to make, team in Conference USA. Uh, this is not a move you expect to hear from a Power 5 offensive coordinator, so something is obviously afoot there in Lawrence. Our good friend Andy Miss is going to do some digging, and we'll see what we can come up with when we, uh, when we gather on Sunday. We'll have that for you on Monday's show. It's very shocking news. It's not good news for Kansas, or, or for what I think. So we're definitely going to have to dig into this and find out what's going on. Uh, as I mentioned, Oklahoma State and Arkansas playing this Saturday. It is the Big 12 SEC Challenge. I love this. I love it. I love it. This is year eight for the cross-conference competition. All 10 teams in the Big 12, 10 teams from the SEC, face off on the hardwood. And the Big 12 has been the victor in this series more often than not. Of course, this will be year eight. The Big 12 has won four of the seven times. The SEC has one win, and the two conferences have tied once in the 2016-2017 season, and then again, five and five last season as well. The Big 12 leads it, of course, like I said. And the overall record, the Big 12 is 40 and 30. So you got another good year, and a year where I believe the Big 12 is the better conference. 
We've got some interesting matchups. So the best way I could think of to preview this weekend uh, is to rank all the matchups. That's what we're going to do right now. So we're, we're going to get started here, ranking at number 10. To me, it's TCU at Missouri. And look, I, I, I think TCU is a, a solid team. When I say solid, they're okay. They've got a winning record. I don't think they're instantly tournament bound this year. But I think this is going to be a, a really bad game and a blowout. Missouri is number 12 in the country. They're 10 and 3. They are vying to be one of the top four teams in the SEC. Uh, this is a good Missouri team. TCU has to go on the road to Columbia. I, I don't think this game is going to be close. Uh, Horn Frogs are coming off of a COVID pause. I just, this is, this could get really ugly and I, and I think it will. So this will be a tough one to watch. This one will be at one o'clock on ESPNU. Uh, Coming at number nine, Iowa State traveling to Mississippi State at five o'clock. Iowa State, similar situation, COVID issues. They were really shorthanded against Oklahoma State this week. They're, they're, they're not very good. And look, Mississippi State's not either. You know, they're, they're a middling team in the SEC, but they are kind of fighting to get on the bubble at the NCAA tournament. They've got a lot more to play for than Iowa State does. Iowa State dealing with all the players who've been out and COVID and everything that's going on there. Questions about Steve Prom on the road. I think Mississippi State wins this one handily. I think this one's a little bit closer than TCU Missouri, uh, but I don't think either one is especially going to be going to be especially good. If you want me to be honest, um, this one might shock you. But coming in number eight, Texas at Kentucky. Now look, it's Kentucky, and I get it, and it's. It's on the road in Lexington. But Kentucky's not good. They are bad this year, folks. They're bad. And Texas is good. Kentucky's 5-10. and 10. And look, I do think Kentucky will, will, will give Texas a game for a bit. Maybe, maybe the whole first half. But I think Texas is way too good. I think they're going to... I think they're going to become ready to go. They're going to seize this as an opportunity. Now, look, Texas had a few players missing. That's part of why they lost to Oklahoma. I'm not trying to take anything away from Oklahoma in their Red River win this week, but they were missing a couple starters. Shaka Smart is out with COVID. I don't know if he will be in that game, so I do think that will play into Kentucky's ability to keep this close for a while, but I think Texas is going to pull away. I think Texas wins this one handily. I don't think it's going to be close in the end, so that's why I'm going to put this one here. Now, this might shock you, but I next game up, is Kansas State hosting Texas A&M. Here's the deal. Every year, it feels like there's a game that the Big 12 should win that they don't, and a game the Big 12 should lose that they win. This is my Kansas State is not good. They are reeling. They're currently getting the doors blown off of them by Baylor. They're at home against a Texas A&M team who's the bottom of the conference standings. Their record's a little bit better but they're not very good either. I think this is an opportunity for a Big 12 team that we all think will lose their game to get a win that the Big 12 wasn't expecting to help them win this series again. I think this game will be close, and I think Kansas State gets this win, so I'm, I'm going to put this one here at, at number seven. All right, number six, Auburn at Baylor. Um, this should be a good game. And what I say is it should have been a good game. Auburn's a talented team, but they've already decided to self-impose a postseason ban for the NCAA tournament. I don't think they have a lot that they're going for. Um, they're playing at Baylor. I think Baylor has shown the ability to allow teams to be close in games. We've seen it the past few games. Uh, you know, Kansas wasn't a blowout. Oklahoma State stayed with them for a little bit into the second half, had a lead at halftime. I think Auburn can make this interesting for a bit, but I think Baylor I think Baylor wins this one handily. Um, I think Auburn will try and give them a test, but I... I I think Baylor will pull away. I think Baylor wins this one. I don't. I'm not really concerned about it. So that's why it's it's number six because I think we're gonna be able to to, to flip around to a different game because it's gonna kind of be over. In fact, I think you'll be able to flip over to the game I have at number five, which is Arkansas Oklahoma State, which we mentioned. Feels like a team fairly even, you know, similar records, similar resumes. Um, I, I think this is a pretty close game and we'll see if Cade Cunningham is back for Oklahoma State Uh, he has missed the past few games I believe they have not said he had COVID but let's be honest he's recovering from COVID this is a big opportunity for him uh, to go up against Moses Moody for Arkansas I I would love to see that that matchup I think this will be a really interesting game because again it's two pretty evenly matched teams I'm going to be in Stillwater I'm going to this game I'm very excited to see Cunningham uh, in, in person I'm, I'm pumped for this one, but it comes in at number five because, again, it's two good teams. They're not great teams, which kind of knocks this one down, but I do think this will be a close and, and competitive and interesting game. 
All right, number four, Florida and West Virginia. That's two teams you hear and you say, this should be really good. Um, It should. Uh, the Gators are pretty good. They're okay. West Virginia is pretty good, and they're okay. And similar to the Oklahoma State-Arkansas game, it's two teams that I think should be better than they are. West Virginia has been solid this year. I like West Virginia. And I, I know it sounds like I'm, I'm kind of down on West Virginia. I think they win this game, but they've also been prone to not be great offensively sometimes. I, I just, I, if if West Virginia wins this game, they win it ugly. I don't think it's a fun game to watch. I'm putting it at number four because I do think it's the fourth best game. It sounds like I, I don't think so, but I, I'm, I'm intrigued in this one. I just, at one o'clock when this game is on, the game I have at number three will also be on, and that's Texas Tech and LSU, and I'll be watching that one instead. Look, Texas Tech is good, but they haven't had to play on the road a lot. Um, but they've been good on the road. LSU is really, really good at home, and uh, Texas Tech's losses are some of the best teams. This is going to be an interesting game. Matt McClung is on fire right now. I'm pumped to see how he plays. I'm pumped to see how Cameron Thomas for LSU plays. Um I'm really interested in this game. This could be a very, very, very fun game. I think Texas Tech's going to have a hard time winning this game. I think they can, absolutely. This is going to be a tough one for the Big 12. I, I really do think this is one of those, that the games that will kind of decide if the Big 12 wins or not. This game, West Virginia, Florida, Arkansas, Oklahoma State. I think these are the three games where if the Big 12 can get the win, they're going to win this whole thing this year. Uh, coming in at number two, Alabama at Oklahoma. I thought about making this number number one. Alabama's really stinking good, folks. Like, they have a huge lead to get the top seed in the SEC championship. Alabama's really good. Like, they're currently on the path to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. They're really good. They put up 105 points at LSU. OU's playing really well. Three games in a row. Three wins in a row. This is... A huge test for them. Huge test for Oklahoma. And the kind of win that could really vault them up in the rankings, the Ken Palm, the actual you know, AP poll, their seeding in the NCAA tournament. This is a huge opportunity for Oklahoma. They get Alabama at home, but Alabama is just rolling. I, I, I wanted to put this one at one. I'm putting it here because it's two teams that I'm really interested to see. I am really interested to see how Oklahoma handles Alabama. So I'm going to keep the close eye on this one. I'm, I'm, of course, I'm rooting for every Big 12 team, and I'm kind of rooting for Alabama, Oklahoma here because I would love to see the Alabama's kind of skyrocketing projection come dovetailing back down because of a game in Oklahoma. And number one, Kansas at Tennessee. These are two talented teams. These are two teams that I think are pretty close and pretty even. I think this is going to be an incredibly close game. I understand uh, that Kansas is reeling on a three-game losing streak. It's okay. I also know that there'll be less than 48 hours coming off of a, a game against TCU. But this is going to be a good game. Kansas is going to be up for this one. I'm really excited to see it. I think this is kind of like that Oklahoma State-Arkansas game, except that it's two far more talented teams. Well, I said two more talented teams. Um, I'm excited. That's why this one comes in at number one for me. So all those games this Saturday, pumped for them, going to be pulled up at uh, probably Eskimo Joe's, watching everything until Oklahoma State and Arkansas tip off. Uh, so if you're in Stillwater, you see me, come say hey. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll have a beer together. Uh, with all that said, we got two great interviews, and I think it's time that we got to them. 10 12 faithful what is up it is ryan chapman christine butterfield we are the sideline morning podcast and christine we have a huge announcement yes we are now transitioning into more national news which is super exciting but don't worry guys still gonna be dunking on ryan on the daily look some things never change but season two of sideline morning is coming to you january 26th you can find it anywhere you get your podcast apple Podcasts, spotify wherever we are super excited to be a part of the highball network and christine just can't wait to get back out there on january 26th back and better than ever baby So as we say on the pod, we are the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, and of course we cover every sport possible. And so I figured it was about time we finally touched on one of the Big 12 sports that the conference is really good at uh, that we have not done so yet, and that would be Rifle. So I'm very excited to have with me a NCAA champion for the TCU Horn Frogs, Elizabeth Marsh. Uh, Elizabeth, thanks for joining the show today. 
All right, thank you. So just to remind myself, uh, TCU, who won their third NCAA championship uh, in 2019 team title, and and you won the individual championship in small bore, uh, and I believe yes. you had a teammate who won, uh, what is it, is it air rifle, uh, the other yes. championship, right? Okay. Yes, uh, Kristen Hemphill won air rifle individual. Very cool. For everyone who doesn't understand rifle, and at West Virginia and TCU, two of the best teams in the country in the sport in NCAA. Uh, West Virginia's got like the most team titles at 19. TCU's got three. Uh, TCU's got a couple of, of runner-ups in 2016-17. Basically, the last decade, uh, the two best programs are arguably West Virginia and TCU, and then I think Kentucky and, and Alaska are pretty solid as well, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, they're uh, very good teams. In fact, uh, this past weekend... Uh, we actually had some shuffling around and, uh, TCU were on top after this weekend, but I believe Alaska is now in second right now in the rankings. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I follow the NCAA rifle account on Instagram. I think it was Ole Miss is really good this year. Obviously Kentucky, um, isn't Ohio state's usually pretty good. Uh, this year they're okay. Um, it's. Ole Miss is, is actually the team that's surprising everybody and shooting really well. So do me a favor, just kind of explain to everybody how rifle works uh, for NCAA. Okay, so rifle, first of all, is one of the few NCAA sports that is co-ed. So men and women compete against each other. A lot of teams are co-ed. Um, so TCU rifle is one of the exceptions and we're an all women's team um Ole Miss is an exception and there's also a couple of other schools um so for us uh, something that's very unique is like body shape uh how fast you can run um you know and just a lot of the other like physical attributes that uh, give you advantages in ball sports or in track and field aren't necessary for us. Um, and so basically we shoot air rifle and small bore. Air rifle is a distance of 10 meters and we shoot small bore at 50 feet. Um, to give perspective on our targets, uh, our 10 ring, which we hit 95% of the time is the size of a period in a 12 font book or, yeah, or a piece of paper. Like if you're writing out a word document and you're using 12 font, 12 point font, and you look at the period at the end of the sentence, that's our 10 ring. And we're hitting that 95 to 98% of the time. So uh, it's a very precise sport. Uh, millimeters are you, you know, within millimeters, you either win or lose. Uh, let's see, small bore is three position, so that means that uh, we shoot in kneeling, which is uh, basically we're down on one knee shooting off of the other knee prone, which is where we're lying on the ground, and then standing, and we shoot standing freehand, uh, so we have no support uh, whatsoever, and uh, this is, there's a total of 60 shots, so we shoot 20 shots in each of those positions, and then an air rifle, it is uh, also a total of 60 shots, uh, but it's all standing freehand, uh, so both uh, both scores come out for a total of 600 points if you shoot all tens. Um, and I'm trying to think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I see an average score for um, like a good a good a good small bore score is a 580 or above, and a good score in air rifle is a 590 or above. Um, so for this past weekend, uh, when we shot, uh, like a school record for us, uh, two of my team members shot 590s in small bore, uh, Stephanie Grunso shot a 594 and Kristen Hemphill shot a 591. Um, and I followed them with a 588. Um, and 
really it like while a 580 or above is a really good score in small bore a 585 and above is like excellent like that's it. that's what the coaches look for uh at a match and like if you especially if you can come in uh in high school and shoot those scores you're going to be one of the top recruited uh shooters in the nation uh and in air rifle like again like 590 is a good score for anybody um, but if you can shoot a 595 and above consistently then yeah, that's a really good score you're probably going to get into the final um and yeah that you're the again if you're in high school and shooting those scores you're going to get recruited by all of the coaches very cool okay so i mean i get west virginia being good you know they're a little a little gun crazy in the hills alaska you know you get on there's not a whole lot to do out there except shoot into the snow um how did tcu become one of the top programs in this so um you know tcu is in um it's it's in a good location it's in fort worth texas so um you know we're very like you know okay like we're on we're in the south but we're also very centrally located so uh it's very easy for coach to recruit from every part of the country um like uh, our freshman is from all the way from montana so we we have a very wide um diverse uh people uh population on our team um, the other thing is our coach, uh, head coach Karen Monez, uh, she was a very good shooter herself. Uh, she was on the Army Marksmanship Unit, won a bunch of uh, championships, and uh, you know, she won so many things that I don't even know how many she won. Uh, like, I don't even think, I think even she has lost count um, of, of how much uh, competition she's won um, and it it's translated very well over to um, she knows a lot about shooting um, you know and she really built the like she became the head coach at TCU I think this is her like 16th season like 15th or 16th somewhere around there and basically like uh, the only year that this team didn't make NCAA championships was the first year she was coaching. Um, so, you know, I say a lot of this program success is her coaching um, and her just knowing how, uh, knowing all the ins and outs of how shooting works and all the minute details and um, all that that's hard to find in a coach. So this is a sport that also is done in, in the Olympics as well, correct? Yes. So how, how much does this translate to going and trying out for Olympics? Do, do you and a lot of your teammates, is that, is that an aspiration for everyone? Uh, for a lot of the top shooters on all of the teams, I would say yes. Uh, it's, not, it's not something that everybody on the team aspires to do. You know, some people have different goals. Uh, you know, there are definitely some of the girls on the team that um, choose to do shooting for, you know, scholarship purposes, because it is a scholarship sport, um, you know, and, in TCU is a, it's, a, it's an expensive school, you know, and so if you can get a scholarship to go to the school, then it just makes, uh, you know, paying for the school that much easier. Um, but I'd say probably the top like two to three shooters on every team has the aspirations of going to the Olympics. And um, basically like when you're at college, it's a lot easier to make the team. A lot of people, that's generally when a lot of people do make the Olympic team is when they're at college, just because the college uh, is generally paying for your equipment and your ammo um, and like other travel expenses to competitions and stuff, or, uh, you know, they, they obviously they pay for our NCAA competitions and they can't always pay for going to like Olympic trials or world cup trials, um, or USA shooting national championships, but they do try to help when you do go to those other matches. Um, uh, like, uh, 
my coaches uh, provided the uh, transportation to and from the airport several times when going to those matches. Um, shooting is an expensive sport. Uh, basically, the only other Olympic sport that's more expensive than us is equestrian. Um, so when you take into consideration how expensive the sport is, when you have a lot of your expenses being paid by the college, it just makes your job that much easier. So you can actually just go to the competition and compete and not have to worry about like, can I actually pay for it? Um, and also there tends to be a lot of shooters that don't actually get the training and coaching that they need in high school to actually make the team. So um, there's a lot of shooters. Ranges are hard to find, especially ones that are specialized for the Olympic style rifle shooting that we do. So uh, there's a lot of, uh, I've heard the story over and over and over again of a lot of shooters in high school, they can only go to the range and shoot small bore for two hours once a week because the range is three hours away. Um, so a lot of shooters, they get to college and then they have access to a range every single day and they get to shoot for two to four hours every single day. And so their scores, so like, for rifle shooters that our freshman 15 is the, your freshman years, you pick up 15 points in, in your uh, scores, not, not like gaining weight or anything. It's, it's actually, a, you have a huge uh, jump in your scores, uh, which is really funny as uh, running joke with us. Um, so yeah, it's, it actually works out a lot better uh, you know, the co and the coaches and the the university likes it when the shooters are on the team and going to Olympic trials or make a team because it looks good for the university too. So, actually, the university is also so like our athletic department gets when you know I tell them, hey, like I'm going to Olympic trials or you know when I made the world championship team and I went to world championships in uh September of 2018 they were very excited about that in fact TCU has like a whole section um kind of in their like trophy room in the Schollmeyer arena where it has lists of all of the athletes who have been to the Olympics or world championships um and kind of those big matches uh yeah, so there's just the universities support you a lot more, so it's actually easier to make the team. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So what's what's interesting is so the Big Twelve is not a host conference. There's different conferences uh, for for rifle. TCU is part of the Patriot Rifle Conference with Air Force, uh, Alaska, Ohio State, and UTEP. Uh, West Virginia is part of the Great American Rifle Conference with Army, Akron, uh, Kentucky, Memphis, Navy, NC State, Nebraska, Ole Miss. In West Virginia, which is interesting. It's just, you yes. know, both are primary West Virginia. So I'm really curious for you guys. You know, you I look at the schedule you guys have this year. You're 5-0 and thus far, TCU is. Um, but you have been on the road for everything. You've been to Columbus, Akron, uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. You've got to go to Charleston, South Carolina. You've still got to go to El Paso, Colorado Springs, back to Columbus. The only the only match you guys have is against, is against Air Force later in the season is why does TCU seem to be traveling so much? Is that is that normal for you guys, or do you tend to host more often? So because of COVID, this year's schedule has gotten so messed up. This is not, like, if you look at our schedule this year, and then you go back and you look at previous year's schedules, you're going to notice that it's completely different. Um so like if you go back and look at the 2019 to 2020 school year um, and our season, then you'll notice that our matches started in September of 2019 and then championships was in March of 2020. So normally we're competing uh, for several months. Um, and this year, because of COVID and how money was working and because um, TCU Athletics has us uh, tested every week um, so that we can travel uh, and compete. Uh, we There's just a, a lot of money being spent. And so TCU Athletics said, hey, like we need to postpone you guys to the spring 
so that our fall sports get priority and so everybody can compete. Um, so basically what's happening is we are having to make up for missing a lot of our competitions in, that would have been in the fall and we were basically cramming them all in from the beginning of this month in January and through championships in March. Um, so yeah, this is not a normal season for us. Normally we uh, would, you know, maybe travel one or two weekends and then have a home match and then travel another one or two weekends and have a home match. So uh, for us to basically have one home match is very rare. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, COVID obviously messing with everything. I, I am curious, speaking of COVID, how frustrating was last season? You know, you guys got through the regular season, got to the Patriot Rifle Conference Championship, win that, and then all that was left was the NCAA Championships. And, of course, those were supposed to be in mid-March. COVID hit and everything got shut down. I mean, you guys were 12-1. Were and one. Your, your only loss was to, at that time, number one West Virginia on the road. And it was a, I mean, from what I can tell, it was an incredibly, incredibly close match. Like, just how frustrating was that to have been that close and, and, and know that you guys had a team that was capable of winning at all last year? Well, uh, that was very frustrating, uh, especially for our senior counter, who that was uh, NCAA's, uh, championships was supposed to be her final match and basically she got shorted out of her last match ever um, so you know that's frustrating for all of the seniors not just uh, the senior that we had um, but the the crazy thing to us was um, so we had already been there for like two days uh, we had traveled in and we had one already seen all of our friends on the other teams. So we had already would have been deemed close contacts to basically everybody else on the teams, even the coaches, even some of the parents. Um, and uh, the day that they, that NCAA announced that they were shutting everything down was our pre-event training day. So um, at NCAA championships, we, we get in at all the big, uh, like matches at like World Cups and like the USA Shooting National Championships and everything. There's the day that they have pre-event training is the day before the competition. And what happens is you get to go and shoot the gun on the point that you're going to be competing on. Um, and this has a couple of advantages. One, you get to make sure everything is working after traveling because uh, some airlines, uh, they're there's been times where people's uh, guns have been broken because airlines have handled the gun cases roughly. Um, you get to see what the lighting is like because lighting is different at every range. Uh, and so uh, for, you know, such a, for a sport that deals with millimeters, you have to make sure that like uh, your irises we use iron sights. So basically we're lining up all the circles. Uh, there's no magnification whatsoever. So um, you have to like, the lighting is very important. So you have to like adjust the irises to make sure that everything is clear and focused and not blurry or dark, um, anything. And so like pre-event training can help with that because uh, you, know, you get to check on the lighting and all that. So basically what happened is we'd been there for two days. We'd shot pre-event training next to everybody else on the line um, with no social distancing whatsoever because uh, nobody really knew what was going on at that point. And um, we had all, uh, they at NCAAs, they provided buffet for lunch and all of us teams had gone through that buffet for lunch. So the crazy thing to us was that you know, if somebody was sick at that point, we were all close contacts and we, if we were going to get sick, then we were going to get sick. And we would have preferred if it just let us shoot at that point, like very few spectators had been in. So all they had to do if they were worried about that was say, Hey, no spectators this year and just let us compete. So like to us, it was crazy because uh, I mean, like we were, I mean, like we were already close contacts. So, like, if somebody had had COVID, then we were already all going to have COVID. Yeah, no, I, 
I think that's a consensus from a lot of people with, with what happened last year. But I, I understand the decision making process. I understand they had a lot of things to consider. But yeah, that absolutely stinks. And I, of course, that stinks for the seniors who uh, who missed out on that last opportunity. Uh, Elizabeth, this has been fantastic. Um, you guys, like I said, are, are five and zero thus far. How are you feeling about this season? You guys think you can? I, I guess it's repeat since there was no NCAA championship last year. Do you feel you guys can repeat this year? Yeah, um, everybody on the team is feeling great. Um, I mean, obviously we shot a new school record this past weekend, so um, we're all feeling great. Um, and yeah, some of us have had like a couple of breakthroughs of like kind of we've shot a couple of personal bests the past couple of weekends, and uh, it's kind of it's those personal bests that we knew were coming and they are finally here, and so we know we can keep that momentum going, and uh, we've very good solid shooters and we're excited for championships this year that's awesome of course NCAA championships will of course be in march uh as we mentioned tcu west virginia two of the best teams um tcu number one right now elizabeth thanks for joining the show today very uh excited to continue to follow this um are you on social media anywhere that anyone wants to to follow you and and see what's going on at tcu they can do so yeah uh I'm on Instagram at uh, Marsh underscore Liz. Also, there's the TCU Rifle uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter pages if they want to follow TCU Rifle. Um, of course, that actually goes for all the rifle teams. They have all have social media if you're really interested in getting to uh, know the sport. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, the TCU Rifle. Congrats, Elizabeth. You're the uh, you're the header image on the Twitter account. So there you go. <laughs> Well, Elizabeth, again, thank you very much. Appreciate you joining the show. This was, this was really interesting and really informative, and uh, and good luck to the, to the Horn Frogs this year. Hey, thank you. We are very excited to have a new sponsor for the 1012 podcast to start 2021, and that is Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, specifically the Lawnmower 3.0. Now, I understand family jewels, weird things to say, ha, ha, ha. We all love to make jokes about personal grooming. But let's get real for just a second. We've all tried. We've all struggled. It's not the easiest thing to do. Manscaped makes it easy. I'm not talking about going smooth as a baby's bottom. However you want it to be, whatever is most comfortable to you, I have a comfort level. I have now been able to reach easier than ever before. I'm sure you have one as well. So do yourself a favor and go check out the Lawnmower 3.0. Third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. It's got a little LED light, which makes things easier to see. It's got a really quiet motor. It ain't loud. Easy to charge, easy to use, incredibly comfortable, incredibly well-designed specifically for you and me, guys. The lawnmower is not the only thing that's great about them. They've got other trimming products, including for your uh, nose and ear, which let me tell you, as you get older, as I have, once you start dealing with those ear hairs, you're gonna thank me for going to Manscaped. So go to manscaped.com. M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code 1012. Get 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com when you use promo code 1012, T-E-N-1-2. You are going to like this. This is going to be something you are really happy to have in your arsenal. So manscaped.com, promo code 1012, 20% off, free shipping. And let me just say, you are never going to be more comfortable than you will after a Manscaped shave. All right, I am very excited today to talk a little Kansas State football. Look, this is the team I think is going to be my, like, I'm going to hype them up. I know everyone's going to love TCU. Texas is a dark horse, which might, I mean, Texas should just change their mascot to the dark horses at this point and just ride into Katy Perry music. Um, but I think the team I'm most intrigued by for a number of reasons is Kansas State. So I'm very excited to have Scott McFarland of the Briscoe Boys on the show today. Scott, welcome to the 1012, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. We were kind of joking around before we started this. Uh, you're giving me an opportunity where I can ignore K-State basketball as they're just tipping off against Baylor and talk about K-State football and uh, despite that ending to the season, I think it's a little bit more cheery than the current state of K-State basketball. I would, I mean, at this point, just, just focus on, on baseball and just start talking baseball. Uh, so, so there you go. Just hop into that. Uh, yeah. Preseason get, pitcher of the year. 
there you go. Yeah, hop into the stuff that's fun to talk about. Skip the stuff that doesn't feel good. And then you can enjoy some will-they-won't-they they, uh, drama at the end of this upcoming season for Bruce Wilbon. I, I don't want to spend time on basketball because nobody wants to listen to Kansas. I put Kansas State basketball on the headline of this podcast. No one's going to want to listen. So we'll just talk football today. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to start with, as I mentioned in our lead-in, this is my when I when I say dark horse like OU gonna be the favorite absolutely um, TCU Iowa State obviously gonna be the favorite to face them again with everything they have coming back Oklahoma State Texas TCU they all have a, a, a lot of upside and a lot of questions but all feel like that three four five but the the team to me that I'm most intrigued in for this season as a as my whole, if the Big 12 can continue this run of Oklahoma facing a different team in the Big 12 title game every year, Kansas State's the one I have earmarked. No shot at West Virginia, but I'm really excited. So so what I need you to tell me, because I've done some research, but not enough, um, tell me why I am wrong and tell me why I am right on Kansas State heading into 2021. Okay, so I'll, I'll start with where you are wrong. Um They've actually done a great job in the transfer market replenishing the defensive backs, but where I think that they needed to either retain a couple of those, you know, COVID senior type guys or go out and get some instant help is linebacker. You have a lot of question marks. Can Cody Fletcher and Daniel Green step up and be the two go-to linebackers all season. Then you brought in a marginal guy, Eric Munoz from Utah State. And then after that, you have walk-ons or freshmen who have yet to play any meaningful minutes at, or snaps, excuse me, snaps and football, not minutes, uh, at the linebacker spot. So that is a very concerning spot on the defense. And then when you flip over to the offense, we saw what Deuce could do. Hopefully, Skylar Thompson's going to be around. But, you know, the wide receivers at times were just abominable, just nowhere to be seen. Uh, Malik Knowles, he has the potential to be a guy who is a true Big 12 receiver. But this is his third year at K-State. He's had big injuries. Yeah, this was his third year at K-State. He's had injuries all three years. Uh, Sebastian Taylor showed signs, but again, he tore his ACL. Um, after that, you don't have a single scholarship wide receiver who registered more than like five catches. So is Keenan Garber going to step up? Are you going to have to depend on the walk-ons again? Are, are, is RJ Garcia, a true freshman, going to hop in and be a game breaker right away? I don't have any confidence in that. So if I'm telling you you're wrong, what you have to do is look at the wide receivers and linebackers. Okay, so so tell me then – why I'm right. I have a few I have a few reasons why I believe this, but I'm curious from you before I say anything. Why might I be right on K-State being a dark horse for, for this year? Yep. So so again, you 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 laid it out. You know, you're giving Iowa State, Oklahoma the pass, uh, which I I think you should. I would even, you know, say I, I would put Texas in front of them just because of the talent and maybe eventually they'll figure it out. I don't know. But if you're saying K-State can be the dark horse you have to look at Skylar Thompson. Uh, the two and a half games that he was healthy, he was on track to have one of the more prolific seasons for K-State quarterbacks, you know, post-Colin Klein. Um, he wasn't going to throw for the type of yard Jake Waters did, but he was on track for over 32 total touchdowns, close to three or 3,500 total yards, which the pace K-State plays at, that's great for – uh, a quarterback. Also, Deuce Vaughn, he was one of the best true freshmen in the nation right there. And then the offensive line continued to get better throughout the entire season when you look at the offensive side of the ball. Flip to the defensive side of the ball, you're returning Echo Boydo, TJ Smith, T. Denson, some guys who really made impacts as young underclassmen. You're bringing Jerry McPherson, and then I mentioned it. K-State got three of the best defensive back transfers in the market. So I'm excited about this, what the secondary is going to do. And you have guys on the defensive line. No one's a white Huber. I think he was when it was all said and done, one of the most prolific pass rushers K-State's had, and they've had some good ones. And Drew Wiley isn't coming back, but you have guys like Jalen Pickle coming in. Boom Massey's coming back for his fifth year. You're going to have enough dudes who can, 
some havoc in the backfield to let, allow those secondary players to make big plays. So um, if, if I was telling you, yes, you're correct, that, that, that's where I would point my finger to. Yeah, we'll talk a little more Scarlett Thompson here in a minute. I, I think once he said he was coming back, that's when things locked in. So the combination of that, the amount that Kansas State has returning that was young last year, um, you take you take the youth from last year. They looked like they were playing pretty well until I think just injuries and COVID and Skylar Thompson going out eventually just it, it did its it did its damage and Kansas State kind of dovetailed at the end. But you take that youth with Coach Kleiman, the staff he's put together. I think they are one of the I, I think he's one of the better coaches in the Big Twelve, and I think there's a lot of good coaches in the Big Twelve. So that's not like trying to dog anyone else. I think he's really good. I think that they have an advantage on as special teams as always. I think the coaching, I think the system, and I think their development does a really good job. You have an entire offensive line that was all new last year. They're pretty much, all, I think they're all coming back. It's it's that idea of you know, re- returning production doesn't always equal improved success. I did an article on this um, at Cowboys Are Free for Oklahoma State because it's so much coming back from 2020 to 2021. And there's no direct correlation. It's about, I mean, it, it's a toss-up. There's as many teams who've had giant leaps as have had giant dropbacks. Um, but you typically see at least a win or two increase. And I think for this Kansas State team, getting Skylar Thompson back, I think gives them a really high ceiling. Now, I, I do have concerns about the floor because, I mean, you think of two years ago, you think of this year. We haven't seen it yet, but it is year three. You've got all these guys coming back. You get Skylar Thompson for another season. I think there's reason if, if I'm going to if I'm gonna play my game of Oklahoma's played a different team in the Big 12 title since it came back. It played TCU, Texas, Baylor, and Iowa State. If we're going to keep this run going, which is my whole my whole bit, Kansas State feels like the right team this year. Of of the options of Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and West Virginia, because no offense to Texas Tech and Kansas, but no, like I think Kansas State's the right pick, and Skyler Thompson's a big part of that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I'm a massive Neil Brown fan. As someone who I'm not, I, you know, I'm purely K-State. I'm rooting for all the good coaches to leave the Big 12. I want, uh, I want Campbell out of Iowa State because I can't stand Iowa State fans since they've gotten good. Um, you know, they're insufferable when they thought the rest were against them. Now that they think, you know, the college football playoffs against them, I can't stand them. Uh, I'm kidding. I, I lived with the Iowa State fan. They're great folks. But I want him gone. I want Neil Brown gone. Uh, you know, I, I want all the good coaches gone. I want Coach Kleiman to – I don't care how it happens. I want him to win a Big 12 title. I don't care how down the Big 12 is. But I'm a big Neil Brown fan, and I, I don't know if they have uh, it quite figured out uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but I, I'm a big believer in him. Uh, so it might not be this year, but I, I would say that pencil case it'll go in 2021, 2022 will be uh, the year, year of Neil Brown and the Mountaineers. Yeah, I agree on Neil Brown. I love that hire. I think quarterback is still a major issue for them, um, but that's another conversation for another day. So speaking of Skylar Thompson, um, coming back for another yes. year, which I think is big for 2021. I do. I think that's big for them. But I am curious for the program, trying to build this up, and I, and I think it is a, a job of, of building, and I think Kleiman's the guy to do it. But for Kansas State, and this sounds like a weird question because this is why I have them as my dark horse, but do you think Skylar Thompson coming back for the year is the best thing for Kansas State, or would it be more beneficial for them to start moving on to one of the young up-and-comers, one of the guys they think are going to take over next, who could be better and lead Kansas State to, to higher peaks more quickly by taking the fields earlier. Yeah, so this was when, when Skylar Thompson initially got hurt and then also when the whole rule came up, this was a massive, uh, you know, civil war amongst K-State mes- message boards and Twitter fans. Um, I've always been of the belief that Skylar Thompson's underappreciated by a lot of the fan base. Um, and when he got hurt, I thought, okay, um, he's definitely going to come back. Will Howard had a good first handful of games. Um, and then the fan base was like, Skyler better not come back. Um, I think we saw once Will Howard had to play versus, you know, upper end of the Big 12 teams, you know, no offense to Texas Tech, 
uh, KU or even, you know, the TCU team that he, I mean, he only got one score versus TCU. K-State got a pick six in that game. That's what won them that game. But once he had to play versus real defenses, you saw that he quite, wasn't quite up to the stuff. And he was working with a stack deck against him. He didn't have spring ball. He didn't have real offseason. I already talked about the wide receivers, but just the throws he made, the decisions he made, doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in me. So I think the guy is Jake Rubley, who just arrived on campus. He's here for spring ball. And I don't want to roll with a true freshman without him learning how to be a power five quarterback. Skylar Thompson's going to be able to teach Jake Rubley that. And I think that Jake Rubley will be the guy in 2022. I think it's beneficial for him to have that understudy year versus trying to be thrust into it or even Will Howard being fed to the wolves for another season because I think we saw he just isn't quite up to it. Yeah, Ruby's the one I'm, 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 I'm interested in and excited about. He feels like, you know, when you're a new coaching staff, you work on building relationships. That, that first recruiting class is just you're just trying to get some guys in there. Year two, you expect to see a little bit better, and they did. You know, it, it – the 24-7 rankings, his second recruiting class was an improvement. His third one nationally was, I think, about the same. Big 12, it was improved. But Rubley was that thing. You want to get that guy. You want to get your, this is the star who's going to help us take the next step. So I'm, I'm really interested in him and what he's going to do there at Kansas State. Um, I, as I mentioned, I do, want to, I do want to dive into Kansas State recruiting a little bit. You know, yep. the, the classes have gotten better. And COVID has had a major effect on recruiting. There's there's no arguing this whatsoever. Um, it, players are, are committing without getting to take visits. If you think tw- it's bad for 2021, 2022 is going to be worse. They literally, I mean, players are going to be slipping through the cracks because no one's had a chance to go see them. But still, we did have his third class this year. You want to see kind of by, by year three, and, and with some of the success they had in year one, you kind of thought you might see, I don't know, better. The national ranks 54th, 8th in the Big 12. I, I know technically the 2021 class isn't done. They've got 14 uh, players signed. They've got three other hard commits. Uh, and, of course, some transfers brought in. But I, I am curious for Kansas State. Is this a thing where year four is the year we expect this to, to shoot up? Or is this, kind of, is this kind of the ceiling for Kansas State? Is this a situation of their they, – let's, let's be honest – there are certain coaches, and I can say Oklahoma State would be one of them, and I can say uh, Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia is one of them, where they are less interested in just going out to get the most talented guys and more interested in really buying into their culture, finding, limiting the number of quote-unquote knuckleheads they have to bring in, and really trying to find those guys that fit what they want to do, fit their culture, fit your town and your system. So now, oftentimes your recruiting classes aren't ranked as highly as your fan base would like, but you do see the success and, and translate on the field and you see guys transfer out less often because you have guys that fit better. So is this more of a that situation with Kleiman or is this kind of a concern of year three of we would like to see a little bit more payoff here? Yep. So a lot, a lot of things that you said I want to touch on. First, first off, Coach Kleiman is someone who he said in his introductory press conference, and he said it a lot this year. He said that K State is always going to be a developmental program. Um, so I think his focus is always going to be developing that talent inside the program. I think he realizes K State's never going to be a place where you're getting a top twenty class. Um, so I. that'll never happen. I think some folks try to come up with reasons why, Oh, if we only had the right guy, we could be top 20. No, I, I think if you, if you put Dabo Sweeney in Manhattan, Kansas, um, K-State's still probably not going to be a top 20 recruiting team, recruiting team. You look at Kansas and you look, if you draw the whole, you know, whatever you want to say, eight hour circle around your campus, there's like one five star a year. Um, so, so it's never going to be top 20. I, I don't think this is the ceiling. I think this team can be a top 40. I think you could see them anywhere between 35 to 40 when they really get going. But I don't think you're going to get much higher than that. And I also think that they really learned their lesson about uh, making sure that you are going for those culture guys. Because 
for better or worse, there are a handful of bad apples, and I'm not going to specifically call them out on this podcast. I I try my best to never, whether it's playing, off the field, anything. These are still kids in college, but there were a handful of bad apples, and it infiltrated, and, you know, they're charismatic. It spreads, and uh, you saw it. K-State had almost all of their transfers. Had, I believe it got up to 14 or 17. I can't quite remember. All of them happened in season. There hasn't been anyone who's transferred out after the season ended. And I think that the coaching staff kind of say, hey, look, if this is the way you're going to be, if you're going to transfer, leave now. There's no there's no point in putting it off. So I think they kind of learned their lesson uh, in that first kind of scramble class because almost all of them were in that scramble class. There's almost no one left from that original class. And I think they learned their lesson that they do have to worry a little bit more about culture. And I think that's, you know, they're going to do that. And I think they can get up to, you know, that top 35 level. That said, I, I, I will say some of the recruiting rankings, I think there are some guys that are really going to be slept on. It's because this pandemic year, 24-7 rivals, ESPN, no one was out to see these kids. They also didn't have like a camp year. Andrew Leningang, who K-State had to beat out Stanford for, an offensive lineman that you're going head-to-head with Stanford for, he wasn't even ranked by rivals until the end of his high school season. You know, there's Crew Jackson, who had close to 25 Power 5 offers. He had to beat out the in-state guys in Arizona. He was a 5-5 on rivals. So I think that there are a lot of guys where when it's all said and done, you're going to look at the recruiting rankings for some of these guys and you're going to think, wow, how is he only a low three-star? How is he, uh, you know, a two-star and two-four-seven? How is this guy not even ranked? Um, I think there's a lot of potential for this class to kind of prove the recruiting rankings wrong, which K-State fans eat up. Uh, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. They love talking up the – you know, non-recruits, the walk-ons from Sabatha, yada, yada, yada. But then they're also mad that they don't recruit better. It's, I think every fan base is like that. But I oh, think yeah. I think they'll get their just desserts kind of pumping up some of those guys here in a couple of years. You're telling me that the, the college sports fans are slightly hypocritical Correct. and like to alter oh, yeah. the uh, alter the narrative to fit the, the or alter the argument to fit the narrative that's pretty much all of college football and everything and yeah that's typically how yeah <laughs> I, I will think i do say to the point on most of that that first class is what's left i also think for Kleiman the transition to fcs to fbs and bringing as many of his coaches as he did, I do think there is a learning curve on recruiting. And I don't mean that as a knock. I just, you're recruiting different kinds of players at the FCS level, even at North Dakota State, than you are at the FBS level. Um, so I, I do think there is something of a learning curve. And obviously they are they are learning from that year one and, 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 and course correcting with what they're doing. Yeah, no, I, I think you're correct. And I, I do think that they're, needs to be, at least from Coach Kleiman, a little bit more accountability when it comes to his staff. Um, there is some recruiting dead weight and there's some coaching dead weight that it looks like is going to be retained. And that is something that Bill Snyder uh, was horrible about. Bill Snyder never once fired a coach. Yes, there might have been times where he helped someone find a different job, but he was notorious <laughs> for being too – uh, too loyal to his assistants. I hope Coach Kleiman doesn't fall into that trap. I'm not going to hammer on him too much uh, for not making staff moves in a pandemic season, coming out of a pandemic season. But if you see some of the coaches who aren't out recruiting and their position groups continue to underperform um, and he doesn't make a move after the 2021 season, that is going to be something that I'm going to have major concerns about and um, I just hope that's not the case because if you want to be the best coaching staff you can be, the head guy has to be a little ruthless sometimes. I think that's a reflection of anyone who's had a lot of success. Um, we see that with, I think, some coaches in the Big 12 right now where a little too loyal to certain people because you want to do it your way and no one's going to tell you and and you just you like to keep your people around you. And I'm not saying that's what's going on, but I, I do think I do think that happens. And look, we all – we're all human, and I think sometimes we we forget that about even college football coaches are human and 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 make the decisions that we don't necessarily agree with, and that's that's fine. Um, okay, so I want to wrap up here. We're going to do our little quick fire Q and I got ten questions for you. Um, some are 
Kansas State football related, and some are absolutely not. So uh, just quick answers. Don't need a long explanation. We're going to start the imaginary clock that doesn't have any impact on this whatsoever. Uh, you ready to go? Yes, sir. All right. All right, number one, uh, go-to Waffle House order. I have never been to Waffle House in my life. Man, this is not, this is not a good start. Uh, most impactful Kansas State transfer both in and out. Uh, in, it is going to be, uh, we'll go with yeast. He's going to play safety for us. And then out, oh, goodness, Tyron Lewis. He would have been one of our starting nickelbacks. He's at Tulane. All right, uh, number three, favorite Mel Brooksville? Patriot. Wait, no, he's not even in that, is he? That's Mel Gibson. No. Yeah. I, I, fuck. Uh, you kids, I don't know. I, I don't even. Yeah, I'm, I'm a kid. Mel Brooks? Yeah. What's his, what is he most known for? Uh, Young Frankenstein, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Spaceballs. Any of these films? Uh, okay, I've seen Spaceballs, but I've oh, seen Spaceballs. Have not seen any of those others. This is this is the second straight time. I've seen Blazing ever. Saddles. I've that seen is, Blazing okay. Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Blazing right. Saddles. Yes, yes, yeah. That's a that's a great one. Uh, the funny story about that is that the Gene Wilder role, Mel Brooks actually approached uh, John Wayne about being in it. And John Wayne read the script and laughed and said, there's no way in hell I can be in this movie, uh, but I will be first in line the second it opens. So, yeah. Uh, okay, bigger rivalry, uh, Farmageddon or the Sunflower Showdown? For me personally, Farmageddon. For the majority of the K-State fan base, it's Sunflower Showdown. That's understandable. Uh, what would your parents have named you if you had been born a girl? I think it was Olivia. I think it was Olivia. Okay. All right. Uh, should this uh, writer on call moving the Stanford game from a home game to Texas? 110% the right call. The right call. I, I think you disagree with me on that one. Uh, no, I've come uh, initially. I, dis I disagreed. I have come around on it. I understand the financial situation. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, okay. Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. All right. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris, Chris Kleiman's favorite pizza topping. Oh, he's Italian sausage. Easy. I've asked him that. It's Italian <laughs> sausage. Yeah. Awesome. And, and he, he likes, he likes Bud Light. He was very good friends with the Bud Light distributor up in Fargo. Uh, so I think he, he got a lot of free Bud Light up there. And so is Gene Taylor. They're both Bud Light guys. And his, his favorite uh, pizza toppings, Italian sausage, and he would not sing karaoke. He would not give us a song. So, <laughs> uh, How much longer does Bruce Weber have? Uh, a month and a half. Okay. Uh, last question. Is Texas back? No. <laughs> Man, I don't think so. What was your take on, on the hire? I was so uninspired. I mean – it sounds like they maybe needed to, but God. The staff he is putting together is the thing that Charlie Strong and Tom Herman wouldn't do. He went out and spent Texas money to get the best he could at each position, as opposed to Tom Herman, who brought his guys from Houston, and Charlie Strong, who brought his guys from Louisville. Yeah. You want to win at Texas with the resources and the finances you have, you go and poach the best of the best. And, and, and I, it's very endearing when guys bring their, their coaches with them. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. I get it. But if you want to run with the big boys, you, you, you can't focus on friends. you got to focus on winning. I, I think the staff he's putting together alone, there's, it, they've got to prove it. And I think it's going to take a few years. And we've got to see if he can handle being the head coach at Texas. I, I don't want to bring up the alcoholism stuff, but I mean, obviously that was part of what went on at USC. And I think that played more into his record at USC than people want to acknowledge. They just want to say he was a crummy coach. No, I think if you were an alcoholic, you don't do a very good job at anything you do. Um, so I, look, if he can bring to Texas what the Alabama offense was running, and it won't be exact, but if, if that can be done at Texas, they'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right with the staff, but when, when they hired Charlie Strong, I thought, oh, yeah, he's going to get done. When it was Tom Herman, I was a believer there. So maybe maybe me not liking Sark is like the, you know, the stamp of, hey, he's going to get it done. So I've been wrong the last two times. 
Yeah, well, I think most of us have. That's all right. Not wrong about Texas Tech. We'll see what happens there. Um, not wrong about Kansas State or West Virginia either. Uh, all right, Scott, <laughs> man, this has been a ton of fun. Really appreciate you joining the show today. Uh, do me a favor. Tell everybody where they can catch all the great work you guys do over there at Bosco's Boys uh, covering Kansas State. Yep. So uh, Bosco's Boys podcasts were everywhere you uh, find podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, player.fm i don't even know what that is but when we look at our stats someone's listening to it on player.fm i mean you can follow us at bosco's boys uh b-o-s-c-o-e-s-b-o-y-s and then me scott wildcat on twitter my co-host grant has been perma banned from twitter like he was president of the united states uh they even track his ip address he's tried to get on and every time he logs on from his home wi-fi he gets banned again so you can only uh get to him if you tweet at the show so thank you so much for having me on it's a lot of fun and uh i appreciate it i think k-state's already down 25 in basketball and it's not even the last media timeout of the first half so i at least got to avoid watching that so thank you so much hey anytime man anytime you don't want to avoid watching a kansas state game you just let me know we'll uh, we'll, we'll hit and uh, chat it up again for sure thanks again Podcast Network.